You're listening to Managing Leadership Anxiety, Yours and Theirs, a podcast offered in partnership with Missio Alliance. Each episode, we discuss internal and relational pressures, how they block effective leadership, and how we can move through them to a greater health. And now your host, Steve Cuss. Folks, uh, my guest today is Jack Shatama. I'm really excited to interview Jack. We we have not known each other, but we swim in the same circles. Jack, uh, I mean, to call Jack a family systems nerd is a, a bit of an understatement. He's a family systems consultant and teacher. A couple of years ago, he wrote a book, Anxious Church, Anxious People, How to Lead Change in an Age of Anxiety. And Jack is a United Methodist pastor. He also does a lot of work for the United Methodist denomination. And then he's also the founding minister in residence for the Center for Clergy Excellence in uh, Maryland. Now, what I'm excited about with Jack is it's not often that I actually get a true systems theorist or somebody who's dedicated decades of their life to systems theory on the show. So I'm excited for my listeners to go a little deeper than we normally go into some concepts that actually I've never covered on the show. Um, Jack's, Jack's got a few. Nonviolent communication, compassionate communication, the loyal opposition. Like, like we have talked about resistance on the show. We have talked about that, but framing it through the loyal opposition. Playfulness how to look for and notice the identified patient when you're scapegoating and when you're being scapegoated. And then uh, one of the topics we always talk about, differentiation of self, one of the most conceptual topics of systems theory that is most important but really hard to grasp. I'll be asking Jack a bit about that as well. Jack, welcome to the MLA podcast. Thanks for having me, Steve. It's great to be here. Well, I had a recent guest, Todd Bolsinger, and he just came out with a book, uh, Tempered Resilience, and you know, great guy, great author. And he really brought up the idea of resistance and how important it is for a leader to not be frustrated by resistance, but to expect it. You frame it in a Friedman way through the loyal opposition. I'd love to hear from you uh, about the loyal opposition. Well, the loyal opposition are the healthy people in the system. Uh, they're the ones who are able to express what they believe in a healthy way, even if it disagrees uh, with what you're trying to do as a leader. And and you need to have that because you don't know what you don't know. You don't w- know what you're missing. Um, so that's the good kind of resistance. And then the other kind of resistance is the anxious people who are unable to deal with their own anxiety about the change, and then they start taking it out on other people. And and oftentimes it is the leader or the pastor uh, who is the target of their anxiety. It's a, a form of triangling. You know, they're they're uncomfortable with this, and so they're going to blame the pastor or complain about the pastor's sermons, or they're going to complain about the youth director. You know, running, making a mess in the in the youth lounge or. It, it, the the forms of resistance can come up in so many ways, and they often aren't actually about what the leader is trying to do. They're they're almost like a, a distraction, and it it sucks the leader into um, their own anxiety, trying to defend themselves, uh, trying to justify what they're doing instead of really focusing on where they're headed. So <laughs> resistance, uh, Friedman would say, you're not leading unless you get that kind of resistance. He he called it sabotage. Yeah, um, yeah you use a very strong word for it. Yeah, and I, I actually was leading a book study, and one one person said, "I don't like that word," and and I think the reason is it it sounds intentional, and almost always it's not intentional. It is people who are not they're just feeling anxious and they're not able to cope with it in a healthy way. They're not able to come up to you and say, pastor, um, I know what you're trying to do, but 
I just can't agree with you. That's that's the loyal opposition. Uh, the the resistance or sabotage, as Friedman would say, would be, you know, how can you how can you say that? What what are you trying to do? And and one of the clues I always use <laughs> is who are they defining? Are they defining themselves? Are they defining you or someone else? So if they're defining themselves and they're saying, you know, Pastor, I can't agree with you, they're doing it in a healthy, calm way. You know, listen, engage. Uh, but if they're if they're defining someone else, either you or uh, they're complaining about someone else or something in the church, that's a form of triangling. You can tell that they're not dealing with their own stuff. And uh, so that kind of resistance really is uh, a challenge for a pastor because it usually or a leader it usually shoots our anxiety up. It makes it hard to regulate our own anxiety. We, we want to just kind of get back into the fray with them. And, and <clears throat> it's being able to just take a step back and say, Let's not engage with this in this in the way we normally would. Let's try to figure out how to be a non-anxious presence. Uh, that's that's critical in those situations. Yeah, I think that's really helpful, Jack. Because you know, I think a lot of leaders have read, uh, for example, Team of Rivals. Uh, Abraham Lincoln intentionally putting opposition on his uh, cabinet, or Winston Churchill, his war cabinet, actually placing the number one guy that wanted his job um, in there. So they read about these things. But then they do seem to get to churches and immediately run into opposition. Most young leaders particularly want to change something before maybe they've earned trust. And then when they get criticism, they often see it as a threat rather than mature or necessary. So you've given us a couple of tools already. You talked about triangulation and whether someone's defining themselves or whether they're kind of throwing it on you. For a young leader, particularly a leader who's still growing in their security, What's another maybe measure they can have to see, okay, is this person loyal opposition or are they actually doing damage? Yeah, so uh, one of them would be, are they coming to you directly? Because if they're coming to you directly, then um, they that's healthier, right? Uh, you know, Bowen, uh, you've studied Bowen theory. Murray Bowen says the triangle is the most stable form of human relationship. And that's because we're not comfortable dealing with this, you know, uncomfortable relationships. So if somebody is coming to you about something you're doing, that's usually okay. But if the anxiety level is high, and again, they're not defining themselves, then that's a clue that, okay, there's probably something else going on here. Um, if if they're going to other people too, and and talking about what's going on in unhealthy ways, uh, you know, that's a sign that it's a systems issue and it's not you. Um, <clears throat> in fact, um, if you are leading, that means by definition, you're trying to change for the better, right? You're trying to get to a better place. And <clears throat> when you're doing that, there's going to be anxiety because change causes anxiety. Change is a form of loss. Loss form is causes grief. And when people aren't able to do deal with that, um, they do unhealthy things. And so I, what I would say to a young leader is be careful about responding to every little complaint because you'll get bogged down in that, um, that content. Uh, Friedman would say, recognize the emotional process. The emotional process that's going on is that people are uncomfortable with the change and they're not handling it very well. 
that's okay. If you can be a non-anxious presence, if you can stay focused on where you want to go and stay emotionally connected to those anxious people, then you have a chance. So don't don't try to convince them that you're right and they're wrong. <clears throat> stay focused on where you're going to go. I, you know, Mrs. So and so, I know you've been in this church for 50 years. I know you care a lot, and I, and I care about what you say, but I really believe this is what, where we're supposed to be heading. Now, tell me about your husband that died last year, because a lot of times it's this, these other things that are going on in their family of origin that is the, kind of the source of their anxiety, and they allow the change that's happening in the church to be the focus so they don't have to deal with what's really going on with them. So one of the things, you know, I, I do have a coaching practice when I coach people. What I try to do is help them. I ask the question, what's going on in Mrs. So-and-so's life? Because I want them to understand where is the anxiety coming from so that as quickly as possible, they can get from the conversation about, you know, whatever they're complaining about. They're changing the, the music, you know, or the, the service is going too long and, and then say, well, enough about that. You know, how are you doing? And and what I found when I'm dealing with anxious people is the sooner I can get to how are you doing, the the lesser that other thing becomes, and the more I become an ally in helping them to walk through their own pain and their own anxiety. So that's what I would recommend to a young young you know leader. Uh, I think it's probably my favorite aspect of systems theory is the when you when you learn these tools, it takes quite a while to get your mind around this way of thinking. You get so caught up in the content. Somebody comes to you, they have a complaint about the church. You then catch their anxiety. You're anxious. You're not even aware you're anxious. Oftentimes you get reactive. What you're coaching us to do is somewhere in there to intervene and to pay attention, as, as you said, the process I love how you're coaching leaders to get beyond the content of the criticism to the emotional relationship. And my, my experience with systems theory is when you're able to do that, the ability to dissolve what feels like an insurmountable disagreement, is a, it's almost miraculous. When you do ask her about you know, the loss of her husband or whatever she's carrying... Yeah, it is. Um, it, it, off, it is my my daughter, who's also ordained in the United Methodist Church, uh, would sometimes come up to me. Uh, she was running a summer camp for a while, and would come up to me and say, um, "Now, do you have any uh, ninja mind tricks I can use for this situation? Because it it does feel like that, but it's not manipulation. It's not reverse psychology. You know, it is it is understanding what it means to be a non anxious presence, and the presence part of that is the emotional connection." The, the hardest thing I think for us when we are in those difficult situations is we, we want to distance ourselves from the people who are giving us a hard time. And that only makes us them more anxious. So if we can find a way to connect with them emotionally without getting buried in the conversation, that's, I think to me, that's the key. Yeah, Jack, you do consulting in nonviolent communication. It's a fascinating use of words to describe the style of communication. Can you explain what that is? Well, I, I, I've mentioned it. I don't actually do consulting. I've just gotten into it. A friend of mine uh, it is a, a trained NVC or compassionate communication person, and it was founded by Marshall Rosenberg in the 60s. And it's based on the idea that anytime uh, somebody gets upset, makes a demand, is doing something hurtful, it's based on an unmet need that they have. And so it does. it, it does. It is consistent with systems theory. And 
when somebody's coming at you in this anxious way, if you can be thinking, what is the unmet need that's going on? You know, what, you know, it's something else behind this complaint about the the color of the carpet, or you know, the fact that the the Sunday school is interfering with the 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 worship time, or you know, whatever their complaint happens to be. And so, nonviolent communication or compassionate communication is just a way to hear people and to try to help them um, uh, to help understand their unmet need. And then at the same time, it's a way to communicate. So you're expressing your unmet needs. And and that to me, that's what self-differentiation is. You know, you're, yeah. um, you know, I'm, I'm feeling a little tired here and I, I'm really needing to uh, go to sleep instead of your TV is way too loud. Your TV is way too loud. I'm defining somebody else. I'm feeling a little tired here. I, I, I need a little quiet. That's defining myself. So, it, uh, and I think I mentioned to you, it's, it's a, it's, I think it's a powerful thing, but I feel like a baby in it um, because I'm just learning it. It mm-hmm. just like, I felt like a baby in family systems 30 years ago. So mm-hmm. um, yeah. you know, it, it takes, it takes time and practice, I think. Yeah. Yeah. You've, you've mentioned differentiation of self a number of times, obviously in, in many ways, it's, it's the bedrock concept that Murray Bowen taught. I've had a number of guests come on and teach about differentiation of self. And in our church context, we've been teaching it for 10 years now. Um, And my students overwhelmingly struggle to understand it because it's just, it's conceptual. So I always ask my guests how you define it. If you had to explain what it is to somebody who didn't know anything about it, uh, how would you define it? Uh, well, for a leader, the way I like to say is um, a self-differentiated leader is somebody who can say what they believe while giving others the freedom to disagree. Because the, the whole point of differentiation of self is that people are talking about their own goals, they're talking about their own beliefs, their own needs. They're not trying to tell other people they have to agree with them. And I think that's the you know, then one of the problems we're facing right now in our country is people have strong beliefs, and if you don't agree with them, it becomes a problem. We don't we don't give people the freedom to disagree. <laughs> so differentiation of self is all about claiming your own goals and values, saying this is what I believe, and staying emotionally connected to the other, not cutting off from the other because they don't agree with you. The other part of that is it's not trying to convince other people that I'm right and you're wrong. And that's the, you know, the, the essence of that is I'm okay with that. I believe what I believe. I'm okay that you believe what you believe and we don't have to agree. It's okay uh, because I'm okay in my own skin. So it, 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 yeah, it's a difficult thing to understand, but w- the way I see it in action is uh, again, people who are defining themselves, but are, are caring about other people, people who are able to express their own needs and beliefs but still care about other people. So I would say that's the simplest way I could express it. Yeah, that, I think that's a really helpful way to frame it. One of the exercises we do when we teach it with our MLA tools is we use movies and TV shows that people are familiar with and we pull out a character. So I am putting you on the spot, but is there a movie or a TV show that comes to mind for you where you would say, okay, here's the, here's the story and, and here's the differentiated leader in that situation? Uh, yeah, so um, I in, in one of the workshops I did recently, I used the series Sweet Magnolias, which is um, out of uh, I think it's a, based in a small town in South Carolina. I believe it's Netflix. Um, and there's eight episodes. It's just one season that's out right now, and it's about three women who grew up together in this small town and. 
Uh, one of them owns a bar. She's divorced. Uh, another one is an attorney and is a very powerful woman. And then the third one is her husband just left her. He was a doctor for his young nurse. And so there's a lot of anxiety. The, the, the system stuff is great. Uh, and and the attorney, who is one of the friends, is the one who, who you see as the self-differentiated person. You'll also see through it that she's got her own issues, too, um, that she's working through, uh, because we all do. Uh, none of us ever reaches full differentiation of self. But uh, yeah, Sweet Magnolias. I also I use um I love using movies and books too. So uh, Soul Food is a great one, um, and one of the daughters is differentiated. Brooklyn uh, is a great one. The the how uh, Ailish I think is her name. She leaves Ireland to come to Brooklyn. Uh, she's differentiated. The Feast of Seven Fishes I just watched uh, over the holidays. It's at about an Italian family in uh, in Pennsylvania and their 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 holiday. Uh, uh, rituals and and then the the sun in that uh, case. So yeah, and what those show you is that uh, this under, understanding of family systems crosses um, cultural boundaries. You know, their systems are systems, and sure, each of our cultures have uh, our own unwritten rules and and rituals and, and guidelines and things, but the process itself still functions the same. Content's different, but the process is still the same. Oh, I love I love that. I was actually just taking notes because every show you mentioned, I'm not familiar with. So I'm I'm just quite excited to go chase these. And um, so, so for our listeners, I'm just going to encourage you, differentiation of self is the fundamental game changer in managing your own anxiety. And And what Jack is offering us here is not just his own like, tools and, and identifying yourself and your own values, but also watching it on a screen is such a helpful way to, to witness it. And in the same way, watching the opposite is also helpful. So I'll just throw out some opposites. Um, my teenage daughter loves the old show, The Gilmore Girls. And I, I watch it with her because I love my daughter. And it means a lot to her that we sit down and watch it together. I can't get through two episodes, Jack, because... It's almost like the writers of that show studied systems theory and then made sure to place triangulation and secret keeping and identify patient to jack up the drama. Um, and then I think another negative example would be almost every reality show ever. You know, take a stereotypical one like The Bachelor, which I, I don't watch, but I am familiar with the premise and and that that host that makes an insane amount of money for just stepping forward and saying, ladies, the final rose, like he's the most overpaid person in the world. But if you watch what he does, he's just, he's just gently stirring the pot constantly, uh, triangling people. What, what did you think when she did that? Are you going to let him get away with that? These little subtle things. Once you see it on the screen, you can see it in your organization and in yourself. Jack, I want to just take a particular nerd level I would love to get your take on this. As I read and study Bowen, differentiation feels warm to me. It feels emotionally connected. Even I love the way, even in the face of people sabotaging you, your desire to get to their pain and their journey. When I study Friedman, differentiation feels cold to me or cool. Like it's on the very extreme of almost detachment. Whereas Bowen to me feels almost on the extreme of enmeshment. I would just love to get your take. I may be way off base, but that's my reading of those guys. What's your take on that? 
Well, I, I think it has to do with the, the use of it. And, and so Bowen primarily was talking about helping families uh, get healthier. And, and families, by their very definition, it, <laughs> you can't help but um, be connected, right? Friedman was trying to help leaders um, be, become better leaders. It, even though much of it is based on uh, systems theory, the, the, the point of the book is to help people understand leadership through self-differentiation, a term Friedman uses. And so that's going to be more cold, <laughs> I think. And I, I think it highlights what both Bowen and Friedman would call this tension between individuality and togetherness pressure. Yeah. You know, yeah. so um, togetherness pressure is the pressure to conform, to be connected. We all feel it in families when the holidays come around and and we're not where we're supposed to be or that kind of thing, you know. Um, and then, of course, individuality is, is being able to define self. It's being able to claim your own goals and values. And I think the reason perhaps if Friedman goes in that direction, is so many clergy, pastoral leaders, uh, are tend to get sucked into the togetherness pressure. They, yeah. they tend to want to please, they tend to want to have consensus, and instead of being willing to put themselves out there and, and say, this is where I believe we need to go. If, if we're going to serve God in the way I believe God is calling us to do, we need to take a risk. We need to head in a direction that's uncomfortable. And, and so I think that, that, to me, that's the difference between uh, Friedman and Bowen. Oh, I really like that. Yeah, I, I, my own theory, which is half-baked and maybe presumptuous, is I know Friedman's parents survived the Holocaust. And I have wondered how much Friedman is just, has because he writes in such a get over it kind of a way. He's so provocative. And of course, having never met him, you know, maybe in person, he's this incredibly warm guy. But when I've assigned Friedman to people in the church, they come back and say, we can't do that here. And I, to, to your point, I've always challenged them as saying, look, we, we confuse enmeshment with empathy in the church. We, we think it must only be empathy when it feels like enmeshment. So how do we detangle that? Jack, one of, one of the um, things that you look for in an organization is playfulness. And I, I'd love to hear about that because I don't think we've covered this much on the show yet, is how systems theory measures playfulness and anxiety in any kind of system. Tell us about that. Well, and that, I think that also is something um, that was uh, Friedman emphasized more. And if you ever, uh, if you read the examples in the book or you you see him do a lecture, he's 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 like a genius in terms of playfulness. We we talked about Friedman's fables, and that's a book that's worth reading as well. Uh, and and playfulness is this idea that we are able to not be so concerned with other people's anxiety. Um, that we can be connected to them in a fun way, in a healthy way, in a way that brings the anxiety level, brings the temperature down in the room. And um, I'll just, I'll give you an example. Uh, I also wrote a family systems book just for people. My, my, my wife said I should have written that second, but I written, wrote another book. But <laughs> and it's called If You Met My Family, You'd Understand. And family systems primer, but uh, so we were at, at, out at lunch after church one day. My uh, three of my four children, our, t our daughter and our two sons, grandchild, it, on a deck in the sun. It was beautiful, and we're just sitting there. And my my wife says, "I've got the greatest family in the world," and we're just kind of soaking it in and nodding our heads. And then a couple minutes later, our two sons start 
talking about mortgages and getting heated. They one had worked in the mortgage industry, the other was working in the mortgage, in, and they were just, you know, they were laying into each other. Finally, one of the sons says, "You're just not hearing what I'm saying," and and then stop. Anxiety through the roof, right? Awkward, and I think this was the Holy Spirit working through me because I said, "Well, we used to have the greatest family in the world," and. That's what playfulness is. It's like, you know, I can't fix them. I can't, that's between them. If I sit there and tell them, you guys have to get along. If you get don't get along, well, you know, it's going to get worse. So play, playfulness is saying, your problem is your problem. I'm going to let you have your problem. I still care about you. I'm still connected. So in a system, when you have leaders who are able to let other people fight things out <laughs> and and can even laugh at it, joke about it, you know, that that's the kind of playfulness you want to see in in a system because you know that the leaders are healthy. The leaders are not going to try to get in and fix every little thing that's going on because that's what will drag a leader down. That's, you know, when you talk about talking to young leaders, young pastors, um, when you feel like you have to go in and and fix everything that's going on, it's it'll own you, it'll consume you, and it'll detract you from the mission that God has for you. Yeah. Yeah, and a similar theme, oddly enough, until you were talking, it didn't. I wasn't connecting these two, but just listening to you, another theme you bring up is the identified patient. You know, and system theory obviously began on the therapy couch with family, and then I think Friedman was really the first one to bring it into the, the congregation. But the concept that a system is looking for someone to blame for its systemic problems, how does a leader know when they are the identified patient in a system or when they are trying to scapegoat a person in the system. Uh, give us some tips on that. Yeah, it's about blame. It's about, you know, where who who are we blaming for the problem? Okay. And so when people are blaming us, um, uh, yes, we could we could be the identified patient. We could they could say we're the cause of the problem. Uh, in if if they're blaming, if we're blaming someone else, we're not taking responsibility for self, but we're blaming somebody else. Then, then we are scapegoating somebody else. And um, I was, I, was, I like to use the example of substance abuse in a family uh, because I, I think the sub, the abuser is the identified patients. Everybody's focusing on them, and and in this case, they're not blaming, but they're saying you have the problem, and. What that does is that absolves everybody else of their own responsibility in the situation. You know, if you've ever been in a situation where there's substance abuse, the rest of us enable in some form or another. We 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 have to own our part of the problem. And what happens when people get scapegoated is oftentimes we uh, allow that to continue because we aren't able to take responsibility for our own part of the situation. Yeah. Yeah, really good. I'm just looking here, Jack, at my list of questions. I, so that I've covered everything I was interested in. What What is one aspect of family systems that we have not? I mean, obviously, there's so many aspects, but what's one that you're looking at? We've wrapped up 2020. We're now into 2021. What's an aspect that you think we need to talk about? 
Well, when you were talking about scapegoating, uh, I I was at a lecture for the Center for Family Process, which uh, virtually, but with it, um, Ed Friedman founded. And it was uh, done by Ted Beal, who actually worked for many years at the Bowen Center in Georgetown. And he was doing, a, he was actually doing kind of a family systems uh, a breakdown of our country, you know, and this was right after January 6th. And, and he was basically saying our country has always had either a scapegoat or a common enemy, and sometimes both. And he said, really, our, our country was founded on scapegoating indigenous peoples and African slaves. And they were always the evil ones. They were always the ones we could, we could focus our energy on and not take responsibility for self. And then into the 20th century, uh, the, Cold, the Cold War came on and we had uh, e, you know, the, the communism as a common enemy for the country. And it helped really uh, bring us together as a country because we could focus on this third evil. And what he says has happened is it, when the wall fell in 1989, I believe, the Berlin Wall, um, we lost an opportunity to have a to change the way our country functions. In fact, he quoted uh, Leonid uh, uh, Gorbachev, who said to uh, George H.W. Bush, "I'm going to deprive you of a common enemy," and. Mm -hmm. And and so when you look at what's happening in our country right now, I th we don't have anybody to scapegoat. We don't have a common enemy except each other, and and that is I think that's what's going on systems wise in our country. And and what we need more than ever are are people who can be non anxious leaders who can you know speak up for what they believe in, but accept other people who are different and stay emotionally connected. And and um, I'll just give you this real quick example. I, uh, my 97 year old mother, we got her vaccinated yesterday and um, I was really happy our county had it. And uh, I posted something on Facebook. I actually don't go on Facebook very often, but I wanted <laughs> to, <laughs> I wanted to just let people know, yeah, we believe in this, you know, yeah, right. and, and I got a lot of great comments, but one person commented, well, do you know what's in that shot before you start waving your pom-poms? And I, I checked out his, his, um, uh, profile and yeah, he's, you know, not, a, not a believer. Um, I, I thought about, well, should I respond or should I not? And I just, I let it go. I might respond back and just say, you know, you can believe what you want. Um, but that's okay. I'm, I'm happy about this. So we don't have to agree. Uh, that's, I think that's what we need right now until we can figure out what our common enemy is. We can't even make COVID a common enemy, you know? <laughs> so, um, I, it, it, it's families are dysfunctional countries are dysfunctional all systems have their dysfunction and so um you know i think those of us who are working on trying to lead in a way that helps people um reduce their anxiety and stay connected um that that's really what we ought to be doing especially when we're in the church you know when we're when we're serving jesus uh to me we're supposed to be trying to model what this ultimate family system looks like right the kingdom of god and uh and so uh that's i would hold that up kind of uh, for our christian leaders this this is what we want to be doing oh, i'm so I am so glad I asked because I, I think just the way you name the challenge of a, first of all, the fact that we need a con common enemy is so problematic, but okay. So we need it as humans, even though we don't actually need it because of the gospel, but then the way you just laid out for us, this is the problem. I, I think that's going to help so many leaders. And I, as I was listening to your answer, Jack, you then modeled differentiation for us with your Facebook post, lots of positivity. Who, who could possibly 
get in your way with an, an aged mother, a 97-year-old mother that you, you want to make sure can be protected. And then uh, pom-poms, nice touch, man. Whoever, you know, pom- really, do we need pom-poms? But I think for you to then model like the idea that going content for content is not going to solve this. It's, it's only going to escalate the anxiety. Thank you so much for sharing that. Okay, friends, uh, Jack and I are recording this episode in January. Actually, we are recording on Inauguration Day, Jack. Uh, but we are not releasing this episode till March. So folks, the first you'll be hearing this in March. That's, you know, getting deep into 2021. I have one gong that I'm clanging in 2021. And that's this. Uh, 2021 will not be different if you're not different. Those of you who struggle through 2020, it did not create the crisis your soul is in. It exposed it. And, and the fallacy of leadership is we believe it is the out, outside external people and circumstances that are generating stress and pressure and anxiety. What family systems theory teaches is the amount of power we have inside us to change our relationship to pressure and stress and anxiety. And listen, guys, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a pastor. Jack, my guest today, follower of Jesus, not just a pastor, but a coach to pastors. He's, he oversees an entire denomination's emotional health. Unless you do something different, your life will not be different. Uh, you can reach out to Jack for coaching. Jack, do you coach people outside of the United Methodist Network? Yeah, um, and I do it mostly via Zoom anyway. So uh, there's a page on the nonanxiousleader.com. That's my website. And so they can find out more about it there. Yeah, so people who want to do something different, you can reach out to Jack for coaching. Uh, I also have an online community. It's called CapableLife.me. The first three letters of Capable Life, calm, aware, present. Well, the first three letters are C-A-M. See, boy, I'm blowing this one. C-A-P, C-A-P, calm, aware, present. And that, that's the goal. We, we want you to experience the freedom and the love and the peace that Christ proclaims and that you proclaim that maybe you struggle to experience. So whether you are reaching out to someone like Jack for coaching, whether you're joining an online community like Capable Life, I hope you're doing something. I hope you're taking seriously, sacrificing money and time to invest in your soul's well-being. And Jack, speaking of the soul's well-being, I've noticed you cowering in the corner knowing that the gauntlet of anxiety questions were coming, but there's no avoiding it. It's time to face it like a man if you think you're ready. All right. All right. Uh, you know, a lot of times the most helpful thing for a leader is just to hear another leader, the situations that generate anxiety for them. Could you just give us two or three different types of situations in your life that you know are going to make you anxious? Uh, staff conflict. When we have a uh, staff conflict, I've, I run a camp and retreat ministry. That's my day job. And uh, yeah, when we have we have staff conflict, that, that really raises my anxiety, and I, I really have to, uh, you know, work on being a non-anxious presence. So that that's one of them. Uh, certainly, uh, family conflict. You know, when when we don't agree as a family, although I, you know, I'll have to say my brother and sister are 
pretty healthy people, and I feel blessed that uh, we can work through those. But uh, even then, it, it can it can be challenging. You know, even even when you feel like you're healthy, it can still raise your anxiety. Just because your anxiety is up doesn't mean that you can't be a non-anxious presence. In fact, I, I tell people being a non-anxious presence is not about what you feel inside. It's about how you connect with others, the, the, the presence that you actually communicate with others. So I would say those are the two main ones. Oh, that's great. So when you when either you are in conflict with another staff member or they are in conflict with each other, um, you know, oftentimes anxiety starts generating a story we tell ourselves. What is the story you're telling yourself when two of your staff are in conflict with each other? Uh, the primary story I try to tell myself is I can't fix this, that they need to be able to work that out themselves. And then I have to try to figure out, okay, how can I do that? And how can I stay connected with each one of them without getting triangled? Because I think that's, you know, the the problem is, is that if you're connected to each one, but they want you to deal with the other, then you're getting triangled. I can think of situations where I've said, you know, I, I get what you're saying, but you're going to have to work this out. And um, and I'll say that to one or the other individually. I don't usually, in those situations, I don't usually get them together in the same room. I don't find that helpful. I find me working with them individually is better. So that that's the story I'm telling myself, you know, because if I don't tell that story to myself, I probably will get into trying to fix their, the situation. And I haven't found that works very well. Yeah. Yeah. You talked a lot about family of origin. Even on the interview section of this, you were really coaching pastors to get to the family situation of the critic even. Uh, give us one trait in your family that's been a real asset in your leadership that you've inherited. What's one trait that gets in the way of your leadership? Um, I think playfulness is, is our family is pretty playful. Uh, and we can joke around even, you know, in difficult subjects. So I think that's been very helpful. I think in terms of what has been a challenge for my leadership, I'm 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 going to say that we're not we're probably not as emotionally connected as we could be. We're we I think we're close, but we don't talk all the time. We don't we're we're physically distanced, which has nothing to do with emotional distance. But I think I think there are times when we could be more emotionally connected. Yeah. Okay. And and I guess what for my leadership what that means is um, it it means my my tendency is to not be emotionally connected my my tendency is to distance and I have to work against that in in just about every relationship I'm in so okay some of the work I've been doing recently is on the inner critic and helping people get to know their inner critic and then compare the message their inner critic is giving them versus the message of the gospel. And how, how so often we elevate the inner critic over God's word. So I, I'd like to read a sentence with a blank and see if you might be willing to fill in the blank for us. Uh, what if I were at least as blank to myself as God is? Probably compassionate. I'm, you know, I, I'm just trying to think about a word. <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty, I don't really talk myself, talk down to myself very often. <laughs> but, so I was trying to think, well, is there, is there a way that I could um, be more humble? What would I, <laughs> what, would I what would God do to make me more humble? Um, I, you know, I mean, I try to be humble. But <laughs> so. I, I think it's a wonderful answer because I, I think 
the the humble path is believing God over your own opinion. And the arrogant path is believing your own self-condemning voice over the accepting voice of God. So I love that. I love that you're worried that you're going to come across as arrogant or something. But to me, what a wonderful thing to live in that truth. We can only try, right? <laughs> yeah. And and it really, it's God's grace that does it. It's not, you know, uh, the more I try, the worse I get. The less I try, the more God does. Yeah. yeah. I think a, a common struggle for particularly pastors or, or faith leaders that proclaim the gospel preachers, worship leaders, is we often proclaim something about God that we don't necessarily experience for ourselves, or we struggle to experience from it. In my life, there were years where I proclaimed the love of God much more succinctly than I encountered the love of God. Is there a gap for you, Jack, between what you believe about God and what you experience from God for yourself? Well, I, I think what, what I would say is I, I, my understanding of the way grace works is that if we are able to get out of the way, um, then God's grace will do amazing and powerful things through us. And and so I believe that. But I, I, you know, for example, when I think about what's going on in the world in terms of injustice, especially in our country and racial equity, um, I, I feel like I could be doing more in our organization. I feel like there's a gap uh, between what's what's happening in and through me to do the work and what uh, I believe God can do. And so and so I guess in some ways. I must be getting in the way somehow, you know, that um, I must be focused on the things I want to focus on, the things I'm comfortable, I'm, you know, I'm privileged and I'm, I'm, you know, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I really believe God can change the world through people. Um, and I'm one of the, I'm a, I'm a person. So I think there's a gap there to me. Hmm. Uh, thank you. That's, yeah, that's really good. All right. The final question, by the way, you have thrived your way through the gauntlet. A lesser guest would have fled by now, and yet here we are. One of the things I've studied is the intersection of chronic anxiety that systems theory teaches with the gospel. I just I get so excited because chronic anxiety is so often built on false belief or false need. There's so much room to displace it with the gospel. So to that end, Jack, when in your life do you feel most fully and completely loved? I'm going to say, I mean, I, I do feel loved. I, I feel so blessed. I have a loving family. Uh, I, you know, I work with great people. I, you know, I just, I just feel loved in so many ways, but I, I really have to tell you, I feel most loved by God when I'm most struggling. Um, when, when I'm uncertain about something and I'm crying out to God, when I feel helpless, I don't know that those 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 are the times when I just feel God's presence, like right there with me, you know, so often, uh, it's just so easy to feel like, oh, I got this. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing my life and everything's fine. And, and, you know, when you've had that attitude, where is God? <laughs> you know, it's, it's God, God doesn't feel that present. So, you know, I try to try to express gratitude every day. And the times when I'm able to feel grateful, I also feel connected to God and I feel most loved. Um, but yeah, it's in those times of struggle, I think. It's kind of weird, huh? <laughs> no, it, it's wonderful. Jack, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for sharing your heart uh, and and so much, man, just so much wisdom. Uh, where can people find you if they want to reach out for more help or more resources? Yeah, it's thenonanxiousleader.com. There's no uh, punctuation, so no hyphen or anything, thenonanxiousleader.com. And, uh, you know, there's information on books, podcasts, coaching, all that on there. So. 
Great. Jack, thanks so much. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, great to be here. Thank you. For more resources, visit stevecusswords.com or missyoualliance.org.